0: 134 of the Daikaiju Network podcast. I am your co host Kenton, with me is your other co host. Jason, co-host. what's going on, peeps? So here we are. We are covering um, a movie that neither Jason nor I have seen before, and that is that oh, the only time right. that's ever happened <laughs> is when we've had. Right here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you you made the mistake. I'm like, wait a minute, what did I do? I'm, I'm, try,
1: um, <laughs> I'm trying to point this way, where the uh, the whole thing is uh, located right there.
0: Okay. Uh, but yeah, the only time that it's happened in which we've covered a film that we've not seen before are new theatrical releases, such as last year's 2019 uh, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, and so on and so forth. But this is a movie that has been out for Technically, like three and a half years now, uh, Colossal, starring Anne Hathaway, Jason Sudeikis, and um, this is a film that I personally have had in my possession – excuse me, for – Really ever since it came out on Blu-ray and DVD, which I believe was early 2017 if I recall, and I had not seen it up until now, Um, and we will kind of get into that uh, here in a bit, but a little bit of housekeeping work here – here in like three or so weeks, Jason is going to be visiting moi, and uh, we're yeah, going to end up doing probably one long sort of online panel uh, of sorts, and I, for those of you who are listening to the audio podcast, I put that in quotes, uh, panel where we sort of um, – Since G-Fest is canceled this year, we are looking to sort of do something in a panel form. Uh, We don't know what we're going to cover. We don't know if it's going to be a multi-topic panel or if it's going to be one themed panel or what it is. We will be discussing that in the weeks to come. Uh, We don't know the date or anything like that either. But it will be sometime during the week of... The 5th through the 11th, sometime in there uh, and is when we'll do it, and we will let everyone know, of course, ahead of uh, ahead of time, so that way you can bookmark it. You better bookmark it, too, because what else do you have going? <laughs> so, Absolutely um, nothing. We'll keep everyone in the loop about that. <laughs> right. <laughs> and
1: uh, the other thing I just want to mention before we get into the uh, meat and potatoes of uh, everything is that uh, not only we're just on YouTube here, but uh, we're also on uh, Twitch, DLive, and Periscope uh, for the streaming networks. And as far as the audio version of our podcast, which comes out later, uh, they'll uh, be available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, uh, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and TuneIn. And then uh, you can uh, like and subscribe to us uh, here, and as well as some of the other listed social media uh, places on the screen there. Uh, just search for Daikaiju Network, and you can follow us at our own website at daikaijunetwork.com. Uh, network com. So uh, probably one of the other things I want to touch upon. Is that um, the uh, Godzilla vs. Khan uh, film? They finally got a a composer uh, announced here, I think the other day, I'm not sure when specifically. And uh, it is uh, Junkie XL. And uh, he's – probably some of you might have known the name of this uh, person. He has uh, collaborated with uh, Hans Zimmer on some of the uh, projects as far as um, Man, yeah, of, Man Steel. of Steel, uh, Batman v. Superman, uh, Mad Max, uh, like the new Mad Max movie, Deadpool. Fury uh, Road. And then –
0: I think, didn't he do at least one track, if not the entire soundtrack of Pacific Rim? Uh, That's
1: not from what I've seen listed on his uh, Wikipedia uh, thing of all the things that he's Let me double uh, check. I got that score up here. But, um, yeah, he's also done um, Dead or Alive, and as well as the upcoming Zack Snyder's uh, Justice League, which would be... I think pretty uh, promising here and um, and then the other thing as far as uh, Godzilla versus Khan here is that the MPA uh, has done the official rating for the film to be a PG 13 which is really not a surprise uh, for basically most of us here I mean <laughs> uh for some of these monster films I don't think when it comes to things like Godzilla and uh Kahn and other things it, it doesn't really need to be radar or anything but um what can you expect and um the other thing that I wanted to point out as well um Let's see here. If I can bring up my uh, browser here, um, is that... Uh, MAGO Corporation has announced a licensing agreement with uh, Super Riot Productions uh, for Ultraman. And they're particularly known to do these 70s retro kind of uh, figurines. I don't know if you've seen some of these at uh, comic book stores where you've seen these uh, retro, uh, old school looking uh, Star Wars or Star Trek uh, figurines or other... Uh, sci-fi TV shows uh, of the like, and they're they're uh, they're pretty cool, in a way. So I think they're probably more more of a collector's item, especially with the the packaging that they come in. So it, it'd be pretty interesting, and in how uh, this uh, Mago Corporation uh, will design some of these uh, figurines. They're going to be mainly focusing on like the really early versions of Ultraman. I think they might have signed, uh, made a license agreement on just the first Ultraman series or maybe a couple more. I'm not particularly sure. I haven't delved too much into uh, this article but I think it'd be pretty interesting on how they go about with uh, how these figures look. So, yeah, that's that's about it. So, what, what did you come to find out?
0: Yeah, I was <laughs> wrong. I, <laughs> I, I thought I had seen his name at least for, like, the main theme of Pacific Rim, but no, I was wrong. I, I must have seen it elsewhere, but I thought he was involved at least with the main theme of Pacific Rim. Yeah, I thought Rim. so. <laughs> so... Um, anything else as far as housekeeping? Um,
1: otherwise, um, I think that's about it besides touching upon the, uh, the confirmed rating for Godzilla vs. Kong, the composer, and then as far as that, uh, Mega Corporation, uh, Ultraman, uh, license agreement.
0: Alrighty, so with that, we're going to get into our discussion of 2016's Colossal, and, um... Like I said, this is the first time either one of us has seen it. I've had it in my possession ever since it first came out on Blu-ray and DVD in, I believe, early 2017. And uh, the main reason why I haven't seen it until now is because I heard a lot of mixed reviews from actual Kaiju fans. So I kind of held off on it. And so, kind of a few weeks ago when we decided we're going to get back into a discussion of a film, you know, we had suggested Colossal because neither one of us had seen it, so here we are. Um, so, just a, a few little things about Colossal before we dive into the synopsis and then the discussion. Uh, colossal was released in 2016. It made 4.5 million dollars worldwide while its budget was 15 million, so it lost money sadly. Uh which is quite a bit. I knew it lost money, I didn't realize it was that much. Uh the most popular thing the, the thing that this movie is probably most popular for is that Toho sued Voltage Pictures for an unauthorized use of Godzilla's image, uh, but the lawsuit was later settled the film is scored by Bear McCreary who also scored 2019's Godzilla King of the Monsters
1: Hmm, pretty interesting
0: yeah, hmm. so there we go. So okay, so here is a synopsis of the film, which I realized I should have just written out into an actual um, thing because my synopsis got to be a little bit longer than I thought. Way to go! But <laughs> here we go: the synopsis of Colossal, starring Anne Hathaway and Jason Sudeikis. Gloria, played by Anne Hathaway, lives in New York City with her boyfriend Tim. She is out late most nights, is unemployed, and is a heavy drinker. Tim becomes irritated with her not being around and basically being a screw-up. He packs her things and tells her to leave. Gloria returns to her old hometown of Maidenhead and lives in the empty house which her parents once lived. Gloria's met, it, Gloria is met up with an old friend from elementary school, Oscar, and he gives her a part-time job at his bar. However... During most nights, Gloria, Oscar, and two of Oscar's friends hang out at the bar after it's closed, drinking copious amounts of liquor. This exacerbates Gloria's alcohol problem. Seoul, South Korea, is under attack from a strange monster, and after a while, Gloria realizes that the monster has imitated some of her physical movements over the past few days. Gloria begins to figure out that the playground near her old elementary school is the hot zone for materializing the monster. She tests her theory out and is in complete shock to find out that when she steps onto the sandy area of the playground, the monster shows up in Seoul and mimics every movement she makes while destroying parts of the city until she exits the playground. She tells Oscar and his two friends and even puts on a demonstration. However, she trips near the end of her demonstration, and her fall kills 200 people in Seoul. She becomes emotionally traumatized as a result, knowing she's been responsible for the death of hundreds due to her actions. But the following day, it is revealed a robot showed up alongside the monster. Oscar and Gloria realize that Oscar, too, can manifest a giant being and soul by setting foot onto the playground. Gloria and Oscar are puzzled as to why they manifest these beings every time they're on the playground. But Oscar, in his drunken stupors, becomes malevolent and reckless. Visiting the playground every morning at 8.05 a.m., the only time in which the monster appears Beings appear and causes chaos and death and soul. Gloria, at one point, fights him back and gets him to stop. Oscar begins to have serious drinking problems of his own and becomes narcissistic. He admits to Gloria that his life has become a mess, and he was always jealous of Gloria's fame and attention in school. He feels like he has power now in his life, knowing that he can affect the world in some fashion. That night, he breaks into her home and tells her to think really hard about how they gained the ability to manifest monsters. Gloria has a flashback to one morning when they were walking to school as kids. Gloria's South Korea project is blown over into the playground. Oscar goes to retrieve it on the other side of the hedges, but instead smashes her project due to his jealousy. Gloria witnesses this and becomes angry. An incoming storm – excuse me – Approaches and lightning strikes both her and Oscar on the head, which explains her idiosyncratic scratching of her head. Oscar and Gloria were carrying a robot and a monster toy that became their representations every time they set foot on the playground at 8.05 a.m., the time in which the lightning struck them. The two have a fight, and Oscar escapes, heading for the playground. Gloria races to the playground as well and tries to stop Oscar, but Oscar holds nothing back and seriously hurts Gloria. Tim had arrived a day earlier and asked Gloria to go back with him to New York City. After her tussle with Oscar, she said she would go back with him, meaning Tim. But instead of going back to New York City, Gloria went to the only place on Earth where she knew she could stop Oscar from destroying Soul. Soul itself. Once there, Oscar manifests his robot form and intends to do some serious damage. While everyone is running away, Gloria walks towards the robot. Since the monsters manifest in the same area of Soul every time Oscar and Gloria arrive at the playground at five each morning, that exact location and Soul also manifests the monsters near the playground in Maidenhead. Oscar is taken aback when Gloria's monster shows up. He tries to run away, but she grabs him and tosses him. The people of Seoul watch as the giant robot vanishes in the distance and celebrate. Gloria walks to a local Soul bar and sheds a few tears knowing what she has done. The bartender asks her if she is okay, and Gloria asks if she'd like to hear an amazing story. The bartender says yes then asks Gloria if she'd like a drink. Gloria stops for a second, makes a funny face, and the screen cuts to black as credits roll. This movie, in terms of how I approached it, reminds me very much of my approach to Matango. Uh, Like... Gosh, like 15 years ago, I believe it was. Whereas, uh, you know, Matango is called Matango Attack of the Mushroom mm-hmm. People, at least here in the States. And I avoided that for like three weeks after I purchased the DVD, thinking this was going to be a very good, goofy, bad film. And then after I watched it, I was taken aback at how much I loved Matango. And here, this film I've had in my possession for over three years, thinking the same thing, this is not going to be a fun film. And then I watch it to get ready for this podcast, and holy shit, this thing, this is an amazing movie. Um,
1: Yeah, the... uh When I first saw the trailers and everything to this uh, movie, um, for some reason, um, I thought of something a little bit different uh, when it came to this uh, particular movie, but then actually seeing it... Uh, several years later, I forget uh, the specific year when this uh, movie came out. Uh, I think it, I think it might have been the same year uh, the legendary movie came out. I'm not entirely sure about that. Maybe 2014, 2016, somewhere around there. But uh, this was uh, the first time I've actually seen this movie, and it actually uh, it, like. Everything about this movie was much different than what I uh, expected. It's like basically how the story was set up for this. Um, Like uh, the characters, like some of them, like mainly Jason Sudeikis' character. I didn't expect him. Spoiler alert, for everyone uh we're gonna be talking about spoilers anyways here so just for warning yeah we do that for um <laughs> i didn't really expect his character to be the main villain <laughs> or the antagonist uh, for this movie. I thought he was going to be more of the love interest for Anne Hathaway's character, but that didn't really turn out to be the case. It was more of this uh, offside uh, dude who sort of hangs, hangs around with uh, Oscar and everything. It was sort of like like some of the things that I was expecting. It was... Not what I really expected at all when it came to this movie.
0: Exactly. I I thought of the exact same things after I got done watching the film was that uh, when I read the description of the film on the back of the Blu-ray case, my understanding was that, uh, yeah, there were tensions between her and her New York City boyfriend, Tim – And that she was going back to his hometown where she meets up with Jason Sudeikis playing Oscar. And I thought, okay, like this is sort of, you know, the stereotypical you come back home to your hometown and you meet up with a good old friend and then just kind of weird stuff happens to you. And you try to figure out with your friend what's going on, how to solve it. And that's one of the things I really love about this film is that it's full of a couple of big surprises. Uh, one of them is, is like you said, Jason Sudeikis is the villain of this film. That was something I did not anticipate. Thankfully, I did not know about when people who had seen it uh, were discussing it online. And the other big surprise is that it's not just this weird looking monster that's in there. We get a giant robot. That's the other thing. That's the other thing I want to point
1: out too is that I wasn't really expecting the other uh, monster, or for this instance, a robot. Whereas in the trailers and everything that I've known about this film for many years up to this point, I've only learned about uh, the monster that. Uh, is controlled by Anne Hathaway, as you can see on uh, (laughs) the poster (laughs) off, off to our right on the screen here. Um, And the other thing that I was sort of amazed about is that uh, these monsters are pretty much controlled from These two characters on the other side of the planet, I sort of expected uh, something to be more like a Pacific Rim sort of deal where these monsters would be almost like right there with them, but they're basically on the opposite side of the world, whereas we've seen it like... Throughout the entire film, and even at the final part uh, of the film, where she goes to Seoul uh, to confront uh, S- uh, uh monster or himself, where he, where she brains the monster to that part of the t- of the world where it comes, grabs. To get uh, Oscar there, and then Frozen like on the other other side, which I wasn't really expecting that part (laughs) too. But uh, yeah, that's that's the one other surprising thing about this film.
0: Yeah, I. Unlike you, I knew that she had some sort of connection with this monster, and I knew going into it, this monster was attacking Soul. Um, I didn't realize that it was a manifestation of sort of like her psyche almost. Um, I thought it was a monster that actually existed in the real world but that somehow she had a weird connection to somehow and was able to control it. Um this film um is and I'm gonna use the G word is genius. Um First of all, I can't think of any films off the top of my head in which – kaiju films, that is, in which you have a story that's kind of like this, uh, in which you have people being able to manifest kaiju and being able to control them and… Uh, and 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 have an effect on them on the other side of the planet, but then you visit that other side of the planet, and you can manifest them on the mm. opposite side and control them. It's just it's it's incredible. And one thing I want to quickly just sort of maybe ask you is you know do you consider this maybe a kaiju film the kaiju um, uh, moments are brief they pro- you probably i don't know i i have not officially timed this my guess would be you get maybe 10 minutes or so of actual kaiju action on screen throughout the entire film do you consider this a kaiju uh,
1: film for me when it comes to possibly the timing of it, I haven't timed it either. Uh, I would say 10 minutes is a little bit uh, too much uh, from what I've seen. I'm probably guessing it can be maybe about, oh, four or five minutes uh, at least. Um, but I probably would still... Con- consider it as a kaiju film is that I mean you got giant monsters and robots roaming around a a town full of uh, many people causing destruction and without even realizing it or just kind of confronting one another just kind of setting aside both Anne Hathaway and Jason Sudeikis uh, here for a moment and that you know they'll interact with one another uh, and then maybe duking it out here and there but yeah I probably would still consider this um, as a kaiju film but I would say more sort of like a different side of the kaiju story in a way is like what if like like for some reason, some freak of nature's of some sorts that we've seen in the backstories where the lightning or some maybe extraterrestrial sort of phenomenon just sort of hits you in the head like with lightning and then all of a sudden just uh, spouses these monsters on the other side of the planet. And it's I think it's kind of a genius way or kind of another take at the, the whole kaiju genre.
0: Yeah. I mean, I consider it a kaiju film as well because, um, I thought about this for a bit, too, uh, after I had seen the film, and I thought to myself, you know, is it technically a kaiju film? And I thought to myself, I go, you know what, I think it is, because uh, despite the limited kaiju action you see in the film, uh, Godzilla vs. Monster Zero, for example, I believe the kaiju are only on film on screen, excuse me, for like, like six, seven minutes, if I'm not mistaken i could be wrong about that but it's very small and and from the entire live action godzilla library monster zero has the least kaiju screen time uh, in the godzilla franchise that is and it is a beloved film by many fans at least here in the western Mm -hmm. hemisphere and i thought to myself you know what? This is a kaiju movie, not just because the the screen time is limited and all that similar in fashion to Monster Zero, but it does actually the story does center around what happens to the people of Seoul, South Korea, uh, in this film. The actions of Sadekus and Hathaway when they step onto that playground at eight oh five a.m. each morning uh, has dramatic consequences, and the entire. Story Story revolves around their growing tension and conflict between each other about what happens there or in Anne Hathaway's case what should not happen uh, mm-hmm. on that playground during that time each morning and this is this is a kaiju film uh, and so Yeah, again, I go back to saying that this is a very genius film. Uh, It's something entirely different that has not been seen at all uh, within the kaiju genre. And, um, I mean, I'm showing my hand basically already, but I don't know how else to present my own uh, basically giving it away. But this is a phenomenal film. Um, Despite there being... Not a whole lot of of kaiju action on screen in this film. Uh, the film is incredibly entertaining mm-hmm. uh, again. Monster Zero has the least amount of Godzilla action on screen out of the entire live action Godzilla films, and that is by and large a fan favorite here in the states, and part of that. … is due to the fact that you have characters that people enjoy and or connect with on some level. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens here in Colossal. This is a very character-driven movie in similar fashion to Monster Zero. Uh the writing here is superb, not just throughout, but because it's such a character-driven story. The characters of Gloria, Oscar in particular, are magnificently written. Um, Sudeikis, uh in terms of how his character is written but also how it, he's acted – is phenomenal. This is a character like we had talked about earlier, where initially we went in thinking, okay, this is your childhood friend that you're going to connect with. This friend is going to help you through your troubling experiences. That's not true. He's the villain, and he starts out friendly, but then gradually becomes more malevolent as the movie progresses. And the other thing that the other thing that I like too is that at the beginning.
1: Of the film where Anne Hathaway's character Gloria, where she's just like unemployed, drunk at you know almost every night, uh, and then it sort of starts to gradually tra- transition her character to more being like not being that sort of person. Whereas uh, Oscar, he, I, I'm guessing that he wasn't like that at first, but we see him. Not really being like that at first, but sort of slowly transitioning to the opposite side of where Gloria's uh, was yeah. at the beginning of the film.
0: Exactly. You brought up something I was just about to say. It's a pendulum swing. Great minds think it's alike. Pen- <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's – you start out with the drunk and it just swings over. It's <laughs> – I like it. I just like it an awful lot. I was just amazed at how this film not only was structured but how well it was written because this is the problem and, – and, and I've talked about this. I know ad nauseum about Shin Godzilla, and I – have talked about it here and there about Demi King on this podcast for the last year, year and a half, even though we have yet to discuss that film. Sure. My problems with those two films, uh, at least. One of the problems with each of those two films is that you don't really have good characters. You don't have characters that you can connect with. Mm -hmm. Uh, You don't have characters that you are sucked in to their stories, to their plight. Um, They're just like – and I've said this before, but I'll say it again because I think it's important for this particular discussion to provide uh, uh, like uh, – comparisons to, um, Shin Godzilla really did not have any characters that had much of an arc or any sort of progression towards a, a particular end, so to speak. In a way, they did, but it wasn't sort of like a character change. It's not like having a character who starts out the movie wimpy and then becomes brave by the end of it to fight the bad guy those characters by and large are the same throughout there's nobody to connect to not to mention there's really no character to like there in that film Demi King is similar in which you have the main character who's sort of a kind of a wussy type of character and doesn't really change at all throughout the course of the film there is no story there is no arc uh, to be had with those characters in those films, and that's part of the reason why I have issues with those films. Not to mention, I do not think those characters in any of those two films that I've mentioned are well-acted. You go to Monster Zero, you have characters who do have an arc, who are represented by great actors, and Nick Adams, Akira Takarata, Akira Kubo, Kumi Mizuno... Jun Tazaki, etc. You have characters that can carry the film. When the giant monsters are not present On screen and that's one of the Things that I really love about this film It is sort of a character Study you have The drunken uh, Girl who has just been thrown out By her boyfriend now Ex-boyfriend she goes back to her Hometown sounds like a stereotypical Story of uh, of many sorts mm. And then she's befriended by uh, An old uh, childhood Friend again sounding Very similar to many stories we've seen in movies and read in books before, but instead of sort of being this ally, ends up becoming the villain, and then you start to really dive into. His part of the story. The first half of the film, you have Gloria's story, the drunken, uh, just sort of careless, reckless uh, individual who starts to gradually clean up her life. And then you have this other person who is her childhood friend, seemingly on the surface like, you know, the good old boy. And then you realize gradually as the movie progresses, no, he's got a dark side to him. And especially after he realizes he can manifest a monster himself. He's like, wow, like I've been jealous of you my entire life because you were the the girl who always wrote short stories and won the short story contest every time in school. I've always been jealous of your fame and popularity. Now I have meaning in this life. I can affect major change in this world somehow, and I'm going to take advantage of that by being the biggest asshole ever. (laughs) And it's just – It takes these wonderful twists because, like you and I just said a little bit ago, we were both surprised Sedakus ends up becoming the villain Mm. in the film. Even after. Anne Hathaway confronts Sedacus the first time and slaps him and he walks off the playground, I thought to myself, OK, they'll patch things up. There's going to maybe be some bigger bad down the road, like maybe one of Sedacus's friends is also able to manifest a monster or – Whatever, like like he's uh, probably I, I, hiding somewhere in the trees
1: or something, of the source or far away, just right. seeing seeing what's going on there, and realizing.
0: Yeah, it. I thought someone else was gonna come along that we had seen or, maybe earlier in the film. would Actually, be a big bad. Or so like one speak. of those other two guys. That's what I was thinking. I thought maybe one of his friends, Joel, and I forget the other guy's name, the, the former crack cocaine addict uh, guy. Yes. Um, I thought maybe one of them was going to come into yeah, play. Speaking
1: – that doesn't happen. Speaking, speaking about that, that one scene where like all four of them were like after the bars, like kind of getting towards the end of the film where he was just drinking that uh, bottle of uh, Jack Daniels there i'm thinking and where he was just like just being a complete asshole to almost everyone and he's just like we all know what you're doing like you're smoking crack in there it's like i'm not gonna tell anyone not gonna call the cops like that whole scene right there it just felt a little bit cringy
0: in a way and just felt really (sighs) awkward Props to Sedacus on his acting here, but also the writing in terms of presenting dialogue. That's one of the things I wanted to get to was the creepiness yeah. of Sedacus. I actually got scared of him in that moment in the bar during their after hours, and I got scared of him too when he sneaks in later to Gloria's uh, house and they start, excuse me, chit chatting. Right before they have fisticuffs, well, when she finds so, out, like with all the
1: flashbacks and everything, that she was that he was the like the asshole <laughs> the whole entire time.
0: Well, yeah, and he has, I think, if I remember correctly, two moments in the film in which he sort of repents. And he's sorry for his actions. And I thought that final time in which he says sorry, in which Hathaway visits him at his place, and she sees just like how how much of a hoarder he was. Yeah. And he really is like, sorry, he's apologizing. And he's saying, look, I want you to continue working at the bar, etc." And she goes, well, you have to promise me no more after hours, no more drinking, that sort of thing. I thought, okay, like maybe there's going to be a turn here. No, he doesn't change. And he gets creepy at various points. It, it's like, I legitimately was feeling like, "Holy crap! Like this guy is a friggin' psychopath," and I was legitimately like scared yeah. of him at a couple and points I, in this. Film. I know I've uh, probably have seen some of his
1: movies in the past too, but out of all the movies that I probably have seen him in so far, I probably say this is probably the best one I've seen him. Uh, act mm-hmm. as far as you know, being like a believable character and being a complete asshole too. <laughs> and I, I think, yeah, he does a wonderful job. He of does that. a wonderful job. Yeah, being at an and asshole <laughs> for for and the character. and I love yeah. Anne
0: Hathaway in that she portray I I don't watch The Princess Bride, and I know it. it a lot of people, including guys, have watched those Princess Bride movies that she's in. I've never seen I them either. I am not interested in them. But a lot of people have said how good of an actress she is in them. And I guess those are the movies that sort of brought her to the forefront in the acting world. Uh, I know her more from uh, Dark Knight Rises as Catwoman. Mm-hmm. And I liked her in that, uh, but I think she's better here. And I l- like the fact that she starts off, you know, the way she acts when she's drunk. Hello? gets this toughness about her as well that i find to be very believable um i really Enjoy her transformation uh, because, again, that shows that there's an arc in her character. But on top of that, it it, it just shows her ability to portray these attributes and characters incredibly well. Um, I really enjoy that. You may want to repeat some of
1: that stuff because your screen really froze up and I didn't even hear a lot of the
0: stuff there. (laughs) Odd. Damn it! Um, <laughs> I I really like her. Uh, ability to show kind of this weak, drunken character at the beginning of the film. And then she gradually transitions more to this sober individual who gradually shows uh, some toughness uh, to her as well. It's a believable portrayal. It shows an arc to the character. And I buy her ability to go from being this drunken, reckless character. Careless individual to being this person who's on the men's and is starting to like just stand up for her values and is willing to just like literally go hand to hand against Sedakus, uh, towards the middle of the film, Mm -hmm. yeah.
1: And uh, out of all the things that we're praising about this movie for, as far as maybe some, uh, maybe a little bit of improvements here and there um i know i would say maybe towards the end when the monster when you you see it um like in daylight and everything instead of at night um i would say maybe some of the visual effects could have maybe need some improvement uh here and there um and then as far as the one scene where Sudeikis sets off the fireworks and everything inside the bar, and then all of a sudden you see see, like these fires sort of kind of around and then uh, one that was on the screen there, they weren't really believable at all (laughs) in a way, Um, especially with the, uh, the uh, the flames on the projector screen, I think the screen itself probably would have gone up in flames much faster than that. <laughs> it's like it was just more at a standstill there the entire time. Um, but otherwise, um, that's probably... All I can think about as far as maybe some uh, some of the improvements that the movie could have
0: uh, done. You bring up the whole um, monster in the daylight, and this is – somehow I knew you might bring, in, bring this up. Here's the thing. A lot of people complain about King of the Monsters not having a daytime battle, and they're hoping – Godzilla versus Kong fixes that. First of all, that's part of the problem. A lot of people aren't confident in their kaiju being presented in the daytime and and looking believable. Well, yeah, that's part of it. Well, true, but um, just
1: just the kind of the way it looked, it seemed like it just maybe needed a little bit more improvement on it but other, otherwise it's still it was still good in a lot of the scenes but uh, some of the shots that they had it uh, that they had the monster for that um, I think they could have might have need some improvements
0: on it otherwise it's still good Here's the thing, though. Here's my second point that I wanted to make. I disagree with you. I think that kaiju looks phenomenal during the daylight scenes. Uh, I will go so far as to say this. I think the kaiju scenes in this film actually look better than they do in any of the Pacific Rim films and King of the Monsters Uh, the only film in which I'm sort of so so on as far as whether or not they might be better than is the 2014 film the 2014 film I think still does a pretty good job but I thought the visual effects despite the fact that the budget for this was 15 million I thought the visual effects were phenomenal in this film, I was really taken aback as to how good this whole thing actually looked. Yes, most of the action is during the nighttime. A lot of that, too, is because the technology just hasn't been advanced well enough yet to make this sort of thing look very believable during the daytime. And I know a lot of people have complaints about that. We heard an awful lot of that last year with 2019's King of the Monsters. Uh, but that's part of the reason, really the main reason why you'd have yet to see any main daytime battles and, and kaiju action in these films because a lot of these companies are like we just can't really make them look that believable here in this film uh, I really believe it looks pretty darn good I, I really liked how it looked in that moment Mhm. As far as my uh, actual, any sort of like actual complaint I have about this film, yeah, the complaint I really had, and it's a nitpick, it, it's the other one that you brought up was the whole fire, uh, big firecracker in the bar there. Uh, I thought the same thing. I'm like, okay, this thing's going to go up in flames. And I was like, okay, well. You have like three or four fires Going on around you But the rest of it isn't going up in flames Like I just I did find that to be a little odd and But to me that's such a nitpick It doesn't really matter much To the to the whole story I, I was just like Okay like That's a little bit of a ding But it's nothing that's going to uh, Really affect the overall story Of this film Other. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: Wise, um, I can't really think of uh, really anything else. This might be a short, <laughs> short episode or something.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I, there's. I, I would love to be able to go into like a play-by-play of this whole film. Uh, the thing is, is that I mean. Man, like it's it's in it really is about the characters. Uh, this is some of the best character work I have ever seen in a kaiju film. Um, you know whether it. Whether you compare it to the anime trilogy of Godzilla, or you compare it to anything else—Godzilla, Gamera, etc.—that has live-action films, the character work here is phenomenal. It is a very character-driven story. It is about Anne Hathaway and Jason Sudeikis and their conflict, as far as just. How they comport themselves, how they go about handling this, this unique ability that they have to manifest giant creatures in Seoul, South Korea, when they step onto that playground at 8.05 every morning. Um, it's an incredible character study. And one thing I thought about yesterday, but I think it would require multiple viewings of this film – Is that I think under this film, I think there's multiple layers of sort of commentary, so to speak, about kaiju films in general – Involved. Hey, there you go, Anne Hathaway, <laughs> scratching your head there. Um, <laughs> I think there's actually some sort of commentary on kaiju films in this movie, uh, but you really have to, um, I think, view it multiple times to really get that. I think in many ways there are uh, some sort of um, – not necessarily Easter eggs, but sort of – like, here's the thing. It's just kind of hard for me to explain. Um, I think there's sort of a duality at work here with this film. You know, you have the kaiju films where you have like Godzilla versus a monster to maybe a friend or not, and then you have Gamera versus a monster to. I almost think this film, in some respects, is the opposite of that. But at the same time a parallel it's sort of commentating on man versus man but Mm -hmm. at the same time showing some of the kaiju stuff so you have Godzilla versus um, Anguirus here you're seeing Godzilla fight Anguirus and once in a while in some of those films, you have man versus man and some shootouts or whatever. But mainly it's about the giant monsters fighting each mm-hmm. other. Here, man versus man, the monsters are sort of an illustration right. of what the people are in some of those Japanese films. And it's at the same time a parallel, if any of that makes mm-hmm. sense. It makes sense in my head. <laughs> but it's, Yeah, it makes sense. Um, <laughs> So I almost feel like this is a reverse kaiju film in a way where, yes, you have kaiju and in a way that is sort of a centerpiece of the film, but it's not what – The entire film is about – the entire film is about the personalities and the relationship and the conflict between Hathaway and Sudeikis and how they handle this this new ability that they have discovered. The whole sort of Stan Lee slash Spider-Man with great power comes great responsibility deal comes into play here and – It's genius. Again, I use that G word, genius. It is a reverse kaiju film. It sort of looks at that duality that is rarely, if ever, looked upon in any other kaiju film, and it puts that more in the forefront here. But at the same time, still showing you just enough of the kaiju aspect to sort of give you um, kind of an idea of of the consequences of their actions here. Mm -hmm. Um, The one thing that
1: I did maybe forget, I don't know if we've ever even brought this up. um, What do we think about the designs of the kaiju that – Hathaway controls and as well as the robot the giant robot that Sudeikis controls what do you think of the designs for me anyways I think they're a pretty unique design and to me when it comes to the giant robot that Sudeikis controls uh, to me it sort of sort of kind of looks a little bit like a, uh, a Pacific Rim uh, giant robot that we've seen in a way I'm not sure if there's any uh, specific uh, type of robot that might look close to that one but I do um, but I know it's, it's a lot of those uh, like the giant robot uh, giant monster versus giant robot type of things that we're sort of seeing nowadays. And, and I think that's sort of kind of the trend and the like. But as far as uh, the uh, monster that Hathaway controls, I think it's a, a a really unique design. It sort of reminds me, oh gosh, uh, that one... Uh, I am Groot. No, it sort of reminds me of this one PlayStation game. It's like uh, Shadow, Shadow of the Colossus. It sort of reminds me of those type of huge, giant monsters from that game, in a ways. And it's a, it's a really unique uh, design, but also it kind of also resembles one of the Ultraman uh, monsters as well, ben Mular. as well. Um, that and maybe that one. Um, Oh, sea monster, that sea creature, you know with kind of has that face resemblance of the monster like from the original Oh,
0: are you talking about that that ape-looking uh like seaweed creature that's like episode 6 something or whatever like the that. original Yeah, Tribune. something like that. Yeah. I it sort of also reminds me of Pigmon a bit that too, too in the yeah. face yeah more, more in um, the face though
1: but, but yeah. yeah i think the design for both this monster and the giant robot are pretty unique in their own right but also kind of resemble some of those uh, more familiar uh robots and kaiju that we've all that we all remember from the past
0: yeah, and I think that's intentional. For me, originally when I saw like the design of this, before I had even seen the movie, I looked at um, Hathaway's creature, and I kept thinking on some level Groot from uh, Guardians of the Universe or Guardians of the Galaxy, excuse me. And I just thought, this is a wooden type of monster. It's made out of wood. I can't wood. see <laughs> it, just, it just kind of looked like that to me in, in many ways. But I see a lot of what you're seeing there in that um, uh, monster. Uh I looked at sedacus's robot, and I thought, yeah, it's pretty cool, but it reminded me of, I believe, the the, the robot's name is Shockwave from the Transformers Oh, you're talking universe. about the Transformers. <laughs> I was yes. more or
1: less talking uh, about the like more Pacific Rim.
0: Yes, I know you were, but I'm saying I saw that robot. The more I saw that robot the more i thought of shockwave uh from the transformers universe and more specifically from the war for cybertron video game and also 2011's dark of the moon movie i saw that um despite the fact that it may have borrowed from that particular character i still really enjoyed the design of it because kind of like you said um it is very much um It is very much sort of like when you see Western pop culture sort of in a visual sense describe what – japanese or eastern uh giant monster films are like it's always some sort of flesh and blood creature versus a robot that's kind of what it seems to be pacific rim also embodied that in their two films as well and and i do like that here in some ways yeah it's a stereotype but at the same way too it's sort of a wink and a nod uh at the audience too when it comes to that sort of thing Mm -hmm. yeah um
1: I can't think of anything else
0: yeah I, I can't either uh, are we ready for final thoughts and a rating uh, yeah
1: um, as far as my uh, final comment on this film it's like I mentioned earlier in the episode it's really nothing that I expected it to be especially from seeing the trailers of it and possibly like the posters that we've seen and like up until now, I thought that probably just see uh, Anne Hathaway maybe doing some uh, goofy stuff as her character with the, with the monster next to her and maybe doing some stuff. But um, it, it was a complete opposite from what I've, actually expected uh, this film to be where as the the monsters that these uh, two characters control are basically on the other side of the planet and if they go to that side of the planet they won't be interacting with it where the monster would be on the other side where they probably were originally uh, are at and as far as it Uh, Jason Sudeikis that was a complete surprise where I didn't fully expect him to be the like the main antagonist of the film and the story uh, for Colossal i think it's uh take, taking a quote from you kent that's genius <laughs> <laughs> that uh it's it's a good form of genius and how they approach the entire uh kaiju genre trying to give it more of a like a different side of the kaiju genre different take of it and just sort of like showing that you know that also uh, human like humans men are like can be the same as the these uh, giant monsters or giant robots causing a lot of destruction upon themselves and everyone around them Too, and it's it's a really interesting take on the whole entire kaiju genre uh the visual effects are really good uh just had some gripes about it in a few uh few different areas um the monster designs are really good uh for this film i think it really suits it pretty damn well um characters as i said they're really good in this i really like how jason sudeikis plays his character in this he does a really good job at being a uh, antagonist and being like yeah just playing it pretty damn well as well as anne hathaway and some of the other uh side characters uh in this film and i really like yeah just Basically, everything about this film, and I'll definitely give uh, Colossal here a bye.
0: All right. Similar to my experience with Matango 15 years ago, I had initially held off watching Colossal, although over a much longer period of time, due to believing I may not enjoy the film and the fact, too, fan reviews were underwhelming. Like Matango, I realized I should have watched this sooner as I found myself really enjoying the film. While the kaiju action is minimal in the film, a vast majority of it deals with Gloria and Oscar going back and forth over why they are manifesting these monsters and fighting each other over the fate of Soul. It's a very character-driven story with everyone giving terrific. Performances. Jason Sudeikis plays the asshole narcissist Oscar to perfection and is scary at times. Gloria emits sympathy, toughness, and a troubled aspect exceptionally. You really root for Gloria while really hating Oscar. The effects work involving the robot and monster are spectacular, as well as the destruction they cause. The score is beautiful and captures every moment appropriately. My only regret is that I wish I had watched this much sooner. As for kaiju fans, I do highly recommend this despite there being little kaiju action, but the film brings out the dueling personality aspect of kaiju films and instead plays them out with humans while also incorporating the kaiju aspect. It's genius filmmaking that brings a fresh take to the genre. The movie sucks you in with characters' stories and the conflict between Gloria and Oscar is entertaining and intense. A very high recommend, which obviously means it's also a buy for me. I also would also say that's a pretty um,
1: underweight, underrated film.
0: Under, I knew it did not perform well, uh, and I think part of it was because I don't think it was even released to that many theaters uh, here in the States. My understanding was it got a minimal release, and I don't know if that was by design or what, and I Let could me. be wrong. But my understanding was it was not released into too many theaters. Uh, I knew it lost money as well. I knew that, but I didn't realize it had lost virtually like – You know, (laughs) 10 and a half million. Let me see here. Uh,
1: So, yeah, the film did come out in um, 2016. Well, actually, uh, yeah, it was – it came out for the uh, TIFF, I forget, the Toronto International Film Festival at September 9th, 2016, which was – like the official release, but then it was released in 2017, so a few years ago, which sort of surprises me that 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 was a little bit more recent than I thought. Um, But as far as the release here, if I can see, um, yeah, I'm not seeing... Much of anything it says as far as the box office, uh, colossal, uh, three million US can, uh, can in Canada, and then one and a half in other territories for a total international gross of 4.5 million, Mm -hmm. which is sort of,
0: uh, Go to Box Office Mojo. Box Office Mojo, yeah. I think, even shows like how many screens Those it boxes. was on. I don't think it was really showing on that many screens. Let's see here, Box Office Mojo, colossal. Uh,
1: okay, so colossal. Domestic opening was one hundred twenty thousand. Um, let's see here if we can find. opening Latin America area yeah widest release 327
0: screens that's part of the problem and I don't know if that's the studio's fault or if that was even intentional it shows here for
1: uh, in release it was 269 days which is in Weeks 38.
0: Yeah, like, and that's the thing, like, I would almost consider this an indie film, really. But it doesn't really uh, because feel I don't like think an it, indie film. It feels more like your it, typical Hollywood film. Yeah, but, you know, Warner Brothers didn't do this. Disney didn't do it. Universal didn't do this. This was done by studios I had never heard of before until I had seen this film and i don't know if maybe these studios are small enough to the point to where they just couldn't get a wide enough release or like some indie films it's intentionally uh, given a smaller release i would like to think that they tried to give it a wider release but because they weren't affiliated with a larger studio they just didn't have sort of the um sort Sort of the, I guess, the push-pull ability to... Make that happen is my guess. Uh, I'm not surprised that this thing didn't come out on the more screens it. because I'm like, I don't remember this thing even being up here.
1: Well, I know um, I've I know I've seen so- the trailers and stuff before, but as far as the distributions, like for here, it's Neon, and then uh, versus right. Entertainment in Spain, Dream Factor Entertainment for South Korea, and then. Mongrel Media for Canada. The only um, biggest uh, distributor or production company that I can see on this list um, is—I think it's uh, Route One. If—if I—if if I, I can remember Route One Entertainment, I think they might be uh, the one for that are mostly known for the Trailer Park Boys. Or I'm thinking about the other kind of uh one or entertainment or something that sounds similar to that one but uh take it with a grain of salt for me on that one so don't quote me on that uh but that that could be the one that i'm thinking about but i'm not entirely sure
0: yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised this thing didn't do well because I'm like this thing, like I said, like I've said several times. I don't remember this getting a wide release. Yeah,
1: and, and as far um, with this... the budget that they have, you know, fifteen million dollars, and with the visual effects and is like some of the uh, locations that they've gone to. I'm not sure if they actually have gone to uh, Seoul, South Korea. They might have set up somewhere that make it look like Seoul.
0: A lot of it was filmed in British okay, Columbia. Yeah.
1: So um, with with that, with the uh, limited amount of, of uh, capital that they had to make this film, they did – to me, they did a pretty damn good job with what they did as far as visual effects, the settings, uh, the characters, everything –
0: Yeah, it's an exceptional film. I mean, Rotten Tomatoes, from the critics' standpoint, gives it an 81%, and this is one of the few times in which I agree with the critics. Uh, This is uh, an exceptional film. It's very well written. I highly recommend it, despite the fact there's not a ton of monster action, but I think there's just enough there to satiate your appetite. It is more of a character study, this film is. And I think, though, it succeeds on that level. Uh, Anne Hathaway, Jason Sudeikis, are, their characters are very well written and their conflict uh, is – it grabs you and it holds on to you. It's intense. Uh, it's an entertaining film that just sucks you in. I, I mean I – again, I recommend it. Um intensely like i said my biggest regret was that i didn't watch this sooner if i did i probably would have told you we probably would have covered this film like two years ago if i had two or three years ago if i had you know be like dude no seriously we got to cover colossal like you're missing out on something yeah. here and <laughs> yeah it was like i didn't
1: realize that I came out sooner than that like in 2017 i thought it came out a bit earlier than that like Uh, Like early 2016 or possibly 2014
0: see the funny thing was is that I thought it came out 2017 and then I was surprised that it was 2016 well that was
1: when it was like uh, (laughs) when it first debuted at the Toronto International Film Festival in September 2016 but it's actual release was around April or uh, March April or May of 2017
0: yeah well, I think with that, we've said our piece on Colossal. Seriously, go check it out if you haven't done definitely so. Definitely It's, it's film. a phenomenal film. Yeah, definitely. Uh, give it all of your money, and I mean all of your money. Um, <laughs> but thank you so much for listening and or watching us. Um, stay tuned. Uh, we'll, Jason and I, when we get off air here, we'll discuss any possibility of maybe doing another episode before uh, we get together here in July in a few weeks. So thank you so much for listening and or watching, and uh, we'll see And you soon.
1: before we sign off here, uh, I just wanted to remind everyone again that we're on these uh, listed uh, podcasts and streaming networks as far as the audio version of the podcast we're on apple podcast google play iHeartRadio, uh spotify and tune in and as far as the live streaming networks obviously here at youtube uh twitch dlive and at periscope and you can uh follow us like and subscribe our uh content over at these uh, following social media uh, media websites. Just search for uh, Daikaiju Network, and you can uh, follow us over at our own website at daikaiju.network.com. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, some some uh, little goofy things going on there for Kent. So uh, with that, um, yes, thank you for watching uh, uh, Daikaiju Network. Thank you. Uh, and uh, we'll be uh, talking about uh, what else, whatever we're going to be discussing next before we meet each other <laughs> again in uh, uh, early July. So take care, everyone. <laughs>